Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Early Work, the podcast in which I, Rhys James, invite a guest from the world of, I suppose, performance or writing to come and read to me their early work, the stuff they wrote, the creative stuff they wrote when they were a nipper, be it a teenager or a child or whatever, just before they did the job that they do now. This week, my guest is Mark Watson, one of the best comedians in the world. Absolutely exceptional comedian, incredibly inventive, always has been. One of my favourites, always been one of my favourites. And it turns out he was kind of this creative all along. Very precocious child. Uh, he was writing extremely on-brand novels, age seven. He did actually have his first novel published when he was like 23, which is still pretty young for that. But no wonder, he put in the groundwork. He'd written all, he put so much hard copies of fiction with like front covers that he'd drawn and coloured in with like drawings of people on them but also just like great 3D writing of like titles and stuff like that not 3D that's not what 3D is Reese. get a grip but he had all this sort of stuff he also had a newspaper called the Daily Blah that uh, he wrote when he was a kid that featured all sorts of local news as well as like a ton of adverts for the sort of things that you cannot imagine a six year old advertising it was absolutely baffling um, but it's a very good episode also I read out a poem um, about the Garden of Eden I think from the perspective of Eve um, because that's how pretentious I was when I was <clears throat> 17. So I hope you enjoy it, and I will see you on the other side. Joining me this week on Early Work is the wonderful Mark Watson. Hello, Mark. Hi, Rhys. Hello. Hi, uh, for listeners, uh, Mark Watson is probably best known for when I was asked to appear on E4's All-Star Driving School, and then I said yes, and then I wasn't on it, and Mark Watson was on it instead. Is that true? I don't know if it was instead, but I watched it and you were the comedian on the one I watched. But you yeah. had been approached to do it? Yeah, but only in like, are you free these dates? And yes, and I don't know how to drive. And then I was like, oh, who's the comedian then? And it ended up and being it was me. And I have to say, it was a miserable experience. Was it really? Well, yeah, you dodged the bullet pass? there. No, I did not. And uh, I didn't even take the driving test in the end because I was so shaken up by the... Uh, <laughs> oh, I, 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 sorry to bring it up. I had God. no experience driving at all. And I, it was one of these situations where... They're like, everyone will be a bit useless, we'll have a laugh. Then you get there and you are just on a dual carriageway going at sort of 50 miles oh, an hour. Yeah. They, they throw you straight in. Yeah. Ah, I see. Okay. And I, I, I do not enjoy... So also, just to clarify for anyone who hasn't seen Also Driving School, which I can't imagine is many, but um, no, just, just in case you have... Chance, someone isn't is it, it's like an intense... You, you have a week. You film for five days and it's like you learning to drive in a week and your men are take your test at the end of the week. That's and if you right. pass, they give you a Suzuki for a year. That's right. But I, I quite quickly... My eyes were off the prize of the Suzuki. And sure. Just will I survive this uh, this five day? It's quite, and obviously they they knew I was quite a nervy person, so they put me with a driving instructor who, uh, like, sort of raised my panic level by sort of shouting, "Come on, faster, gas!" He kept saying, "Gas it, gas it, and, uh, <laughs> gas it, gas it." I want to see. 
I want to see 50. Oh. He, was, he would yell, I want to see 50, as in miles per hour. And I was thinking, no, I don't even, I'm not sure which one of these is the break. And you were yeah, thinking, mate. if I do that, I'm not going to see 50. Yes, in, in, in all so. ways, yeah. <laughs> so I, what I'm saying is, you, if the, you're best known for having got away. Having not been on all driving there, school. I think so, yeah. Um, it, I was imagining it would be in like one of those things you see in like American films where they just go around cones in a big car. Park. Very much how I pictured it. And they do that for about an hour. And then they're like, right, on the road with you. And wow. I, I came away feeling that perhaps the best way to teach citizens to drive cars is not um, in front of TV cameras on yeah. an intensive course and already in real traffic. Yeah. I think you've got sort of lorries going by and all. It would suit a particular type of. But of course, inevitably, the other people had already had some driving lessons or one of them had once taken a test and failed. So they... Ah, so it wasn't brand... And you'd never done any of it? I had never done any. I always... I've done several of these um, sort of celeb formats where they're like, of course, the whole point is everyone is rubbish and, and then you get there and everyone else prepped for months. Yeah, so <laughs> actually you're the rubbish one. <laughs> and you had essentially a personal trainer next to you saying... Push it, push it. Yes, At one yes, point, yes. he said, the faster car, the easier it is to control, which <laughs> definitely is not true. <laughs> wow. Just a, a little bit of physics will tell you that's probably yeah, not sure. the case. Otherwise, I mean, you just go 200 miles an hour and it would be totally safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they would encourage. Mm. Actually, there's speed limits, but it's for you have to go above this. That's speed. right. <laughs> yeah. Like in speed. Yeah. <laughs> like in speed. Yeah, 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 of course. Now, Mark, if I had to guess what you like at school, and this is normal school, not driving school. Yes. Um, which I do have to because it's the first format point of the show. What I've written is the following. One word to start with, prefect. Now, I do qualify this, which is you're famous for organizing things, for big things. So that's yeah. kind of prefect level behavior. Obviously, you were good enough to have been head boy but I think you would have been too modest to have stood for head boy. Now, I've said, you re- I reckon you're still in touch with upwards of three teachers. I reckon dinner ladies loved you. I think you I've spanned... i say, so far, this is really... Accurate. Is it? <laughs> this is oh, on correct. the money, pretty much. Yeah. And then and my final thing is, I think you spanned both worlds of being a good student and still a fun pupil for the other pupils. For example, I think on the last day of school, when everyone messes up the school, and sort of prank, does a bunch of pranks, I can imagine that someone would have been maybe graffitiing or putting polyfiller in locks and you'd have said something like, yes, it is fun to express ourselves, but shall we do it in a more respectful and legal manner? Well, all of that is, <laughs> is accurate, I'd say. I definitely I was a prefect for a start. Yes, um, I knew it. But it got is, prefect written all over you, and that's because you're still wearing the badge. I literally do have a <laughs> Yeah, I've kept all the merch. Yeah. And it is also true that I was never really in the running for, for head boy. You applied to be a prefect, but you didn't apply for... Um, the head, they just sort of picked... Oh, they scouted a, you? In the way you pick a captain of a football team or something, someone was... And I was never... Oh, really? Is that how it works? So you didn't get to do hustings? There were no hustings. The, the, presumably the head and a, a bunch of teachers just picked... A bit like uh, with the Oscars, there'd be buzz around a few people. <laughs> and then they went for a bloke called Richard, uh, who I don't think was... Um, now, this is a piece of peculiar trivia, and I'm not sure if this has a place on the podcast, really, but you might remember a few years ago, there was a bloke called... Uh, there was an uh, internationally reported case of a bloke called Sri Indwani who went to South Africa and his wife was killed in a carjacking. And he was accused of the murder, and but then not convicted. And uh, there's a huge... Jeremy Vine made a documentary about it. It was a big... Uh, anyway, he was he was at school with me and he was the sort of bookie's favourite to be Oh, boy. wow. Um, but he was passed over for it. Eventually also passed sure. over for this, uh, yeah. this alleged murder. <laughs> yeah, and he's got previous. It went to a bloke called Richard and then there were something like four head prefects who were the sort of the, the vice captains who served under him the nominees and the nominees and I was below that so I was just a regular prefect which meant you had a little bit of the kudos but you didn't have to do very much and were, um, were, the, were these these head prefects at your school were they actually expected to do I think they had to do stuff like helping out with the younger kids and they had a fair bit of actual admin whereas if you're at my level of prefect it was more just uh Sort of honour, basically. It's just, a, just a title for your personal statement. I don't remember doing anything. You don't have to worry. I think about it was it. very much about the personal statement. Yeah. I don't remember a single thing I did for the school, which I might be wrong. But um, did you have? Did they, did at your school? Did the were there different titles? Was it just prefect, or was there like social secretary? Or I, I think we. I can't I, remember any others, but yeah, I don't think we had that. I think that schools have since I left school, schools have become a bit more into that kind of. It's an American thing, right? That it is. We kind of adopted. And I wonder if that thing of messing up the school a bit on the last day is an American thing as well, because I watched Booksmart recently, and they mm. basically just burn the school down. Yeah, like it's incredible. And uh, your estimate is true. If if I had seen anyone like putting polyfill in the locks, I would have been the kid that was like, "All right, let's." We've all had a laugh, but in reality, I remember the last day being full of sort of hijinks but not the sort of hijinks I, I, again if, if you haven't seen Booksmart they basically it appears it's like a day where 
total anarchy. Has yeah. someone's got a car in the playground? Things that, like uh, not just fire extinguishers, but things are being shaken and thrown. It's basically absolute carnage. Yeah, it and was. It, there was a, some unacceptable stuff happened there was, on my last day at school. Did it? So there yeah, you go. there was. Um, Maybe there's more. Of a, you're younger than me. There might be more. There of a was polyfiller right in the locks. There you go. Which is a, it's just it, it's not fun. No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's not even a fun thing for you also, to do. Also, because because it was overnight. We, we people had gone in the night before the last day of school to like pre On to like prep all this stuff. Prepping. Basically, the whole year was there the night before school. This is and amazing. Like, but the building is locked. So with the polyfiller in the locks. The idea was that, and then we can't get in any of the buildings. Right. Like, what if it's raining? Yeah. Then, then what do we do? It seems really. Ill and also, it was out. the building of where our sixth form common room was, which is where the whole day was taking place. The next day of all yeah. the like speeches and like the big presentations and all that. It was pointless. So it was ill thought out. Also, there was some graffiti which was outside the PE block. There was a big, um, massive penis. Yeah. Painted on the floor. The most we did was just sign each other's shirts. As yeah. But I started to feel exactly, like I went to yeah. school in the 1950s. Well, everyone got kicked out. So when we got to school on the day, they were like oh, this is an unprecedented level of unacceptable, which they said every year. So precedent it now, please. Yeah, and, and now precedent it. Yeah, um, but yeah. They, uh, they were so like... So it was a sort of tradition at your school that you, you already went into it knowing, oh, we're all going in the night before. It was a thing. I think so, yeah. And it also, because, because of that, it snowballs because everyone wants to up of the ante on the previous year and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, my But it's not was... clever. No one does anything clever. So it's like, it's just... No, yeah. let's be the most horrible pricks we can be. Um, and so, then we all get kicked out. So they, they were like, we need you to... The whole day's cancelled unless you own up. And I had a friend who was a twin, and one of the twins who wasn't really involved was really upset. Amazing. So the other one who was kind of involved, the twin, was like, okay, I'm not going to ruin his day. I'll go and sort this out. And just said, it was me. But it obviously... And then about 40 people then went, okay, fine, it was all of us. And it was a bit of a Spartacus type situation. Amazing stuff. And we thought, they can't kick out 40 of us. Well, they can, and they did. On so, the last day? Yeah, it was just like, you're all gone. See you later. And it was, uh, I think expelled about... Expelled from school within it just hours said, of actually finishing well, the actually, school not career. Expelled, like, not expelled, just told, you, have to, you can't have this day wow. and you have to leave. But that was their only punishment, really. Yeah, because they haven't got much over you, have they? That's, so, that's the whole point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, basically, <laughs> your profiling of me was right, which is if I'd been in that situation, I would have sort of like enjoyed watching the graffiti and stuff take place. But yeah. I would have been very uneasy about the direction things were heading in. I took I a similar yeah. role. I kind of tried to talk someone out of the polyfiller situation and I was not an authority on anything. So struggle. I think I'd have used phrases like think of the long-term consequences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those don't go down well with certain the people who got the polyfiller. You're not seen as being fun at a party. <laughs> yeah. The word consequences almost never comes out in these situations. Were you liked, do you think? Well, I think like uh, like most people i have a memory of not being very popular at school but i, I say most people most comedians most people that i yeah uh, most people you know now but i don't think it was an extreme problem i think i just sort of um kept myself to myself to quite i had a couple of friends and i didn't really venture beyond that so i think i was selectively liked um people you'll have had this because i think every comedian has people tend to assume that you were the sort of uh the class joker mm. and like interviewers will always say so were you the funny one at school but and i don't remember being that person at all um, we had a specific person that was that guy, in fact, a bloke called Paul, who, whose entire thing in life was just to wind up teachers. And I'd almost bet that he works in insurance or... Yeah. I tend to find comedians and people that, you know, didn't have that outlet in our young days and were now yeah. compensating. And the people that were the class comedian have got that out of the system. Right. Now they, they're hedge fund managers or something. And also yeah. they're just the ones who were doing it for a laugh. They're not the ones who need it. Like no, us. exactly. They're, we're the ones who go, it. oh God, I've got to prove something to someone. Because I was, yeah, I find, yeah, the whole were you a class clown? It's like, no, I was I was quiet. Yeah. That's the point. I was stockpiling neuroses that yeah. would eventually come out in my life. And also yeah. just like, and still am quiet except for one hour a day. Precisely, yeah. The idea that comedians are like fun people to hang out with in everyday life is uh, <laughs> it's incredible that we get away with that. that I mean, it's popular delusion. To be honest, when you think about that, it's absolutely insane that podcasts exist. It really is. Yeah. Almost all podcasts are two comedians having a conversation. Yeah, podcasts rest on the idea that people at home think, I'd love to just hang out with comedians and listen to the conversation. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, um, uh, the, and the longer we can preserve that idea, the better for our careers, obviously. <laughs> absolutely. But it's a dangerous idea. Whereas the bloke, uh, Paul, as a class, as class clowns go, he was pretty good. His thing was just to ask questions which appeared innocent but were just totally irrelevant to the matter in hand. And I remember once a teacher briefing us on exam rules. And it was like, you can't, you can't have a phone. Well, we didn't have phones even, I don't think. But, you know, you can't have any notes, all this, all this usual stuff. And he put his hand up and said, you haven't said anything about apples. What happens if we're halfway through and I fancy an apple? And this examiner bloke was just thrown into a fury by... <laughs> I can imagine that, smashing it. Absolutely stupid question. Well, yeah, the class, we were just delighted. Obviously, the class love that. It was a like, legit question to ask, but it was also totally stupid. Yeah. Of course, the guy was just like, what? You, you can't have an apple, it's an exam. You, 
you can have an apple after it. Like, <laughs> even the fact that you had to keep repeating the word apple was a sort of victory. So that was what Paul was like. He, was, he just wanted to make teachers say shit. Dignifying that, that with a response as an examiner exactly. is pathetic. Have the authority to say, obviously I'm not answering that like, stupid question. Occasionally someone would do that, but he had a way of asking questions which appeared on the level. Yeah. And then, yeah, he was almost a genius at it. But again, I bet none of the skills were transferable to, to now. No, I bet of he's course. Got the most yeah, boring. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him since school. I don't think, but I bet he's doing something. I wonder much. what he's like in an office though, with his boss saying, oh, gosh, "What if yeah. during this meeting I fancy a banana?" What, what if a dinosaur do comes in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a story that a teacher had been so wound up by this guy Paul that he jumped out of a second-story window, like oh. jumped out of a classroom window, and that was yeah, not just those stories. I was going to say it was like not just accepted. It was it was part of like the gospel of everybody yeah. knew that. But then yeah, as you get older, it turns out every school has some sort of archetypal tale of a teacher jumping out of it or something it's like every that. Every school, yeah. Now you so said I've, that I've every school has think... jumped out of the second story window, yeah. jumped out of the top floor of the English block, jumped out of whatever second story window so, onto the wood chips. So looking back, it's what that was one of my every... first experiences of the urban myth. I yeah. think it was just a thing which was thought to have happened in one school once in history. Everyone's everyone got that thought, yeah. second story window jumped out. No one's I, ever done that. No, I think I told the story at university and everyone was like, oh yeah, that happened in my school as well. <laughs> yeah, we started yeah. to realise we'd all been sold an ancient myth. Yeah. <laughs> How is that the best thing we can come up with? Is it because at schools there is only two stories to any building, really? Yeah, and I think perhaps because it was uh, like a survivable, you could almost believe a teacher would go sure. crazy enough to do that, I suppose. So it had the ring of truth about it, but also as soon as you start interrogating it yeah you, you I must start. say it, I never we never got the teacher did it it was always just different students did Someone it when they were being was... kept behind and they, they just went rah out I never had a teacher doing it, it that is the step it, it must have something to do with the fact that when you're at school you, you do experience it as a sort of captivity you're constantly yeah. gazing out the window thinking I wish I was out here so there is this collective fantasy of just jumping out of the window yeah. which has gone from fantasy into an actual I mean, maybe that is a way, a creative outlet for people at school, which is what this podcast is all about. It's yeah. just lying about, it, it, it's like you're making up stories. You're not writing them down, but you're just making up stories of, oh, Mr. Deacon jumped out of the window. Yeah. And then trying to tell this story like a campfire anecdote. Basically, yeah, because what else have you got? You're listening to stuff about physics or something that you don't understand. Yeah. Naturally, you start to mythologize the experience. Yeah. And come up with all the, yeah, yeah, it must yeah. be it. Were you, so you have brought some stuff that you wrote, but were you writing stuff? I know this is, you told me this is from when you were quite young. Yeah. When you're in um, secondary school at the age we're talking about now, were you doing any creative writing then? I was already into writing and stuff, yeah. And I, I had, my mum uh, had a, what was then known as a word processor, although no one has said that for 20 years. Or I suppose you'd say it about a, like a soft piece of software, but I can remember when word processor was an actual name for a computer, basically. Right. And she was a secretary. So I used to sometimes borrow her thing and um, the novelty of writing a story and printing it out in those days yeah. felt incredible. First time I ever did it, I think my my dad took it into work with him and photocopied it. And then and again, seeing your work in sort of three or four copies like that was uh, absolutely mind-blowing. And this, that is very early on. So I think I was basically... Why was he making school, copies? Looking back, I'm not sure. He presumably was, he was selling them or hoarding them. My parents have hoarded quite a lot of them. Oh, have they? As, as, which is what... Uh, podcast is about yeah so perhaps he no i think he just wanted to show he wanted me to have the novelty i remember one time we he worked in the school my dad so i suppose it in fact he worked at the school i was at um that's one of the reasons why i was quite well behaved at school because if you if your parent is in the staff Watch room it life, changes your the relationship what did he do with, at yeah, the school he's a chemistry teacher and um did he teach you luckily he never taught me directly. was that luck well, I, th I think so, because he was a good teacher, I think, and he luckily was quite popular, because I can't imagine a worse existence for a kid than... Yeah. But there was a uh, girl in our year whose um, mum was an unpopular teacher. People were always sort of doing impressions of her and stuff, and I don't know how she got through that seven years quite Absolute honestly. Absolute agony, yeah. Whereas I know my, those kids. Um, my old man was all right. As a, like, no one seemed to have a problem with him. But there would be moments where... I think they deliberately kept me out of his chemistry set, but uh, because of some feeling that it would... I and mean, they were right, it would have been weird as hell I think I also wasn't really good at chemistry but sometimes your teacher would be off ill and then a random teacher would cover the class and mm. two or three times it happened that my dad walked in and of course everyone swivels to look at you and your father-son relationship is played out in front of your mates <laughs> for a while so I used to much as I liked him and I felt like other people liked him I used to try and minimise moments because there were all these minefields like do I call him Mr Watson or Sir or yeah. can't, you, don't, you can't well, call him Dad in I guess, class. But I guess the good thing like, is if you do slip up and accidentally call the teacher Dad you're fine. It's the one time no. when that is not a career-ending <laughs> exactly. mistake. No yeah. one can go, oh, he's called the teacher dad. He goes, oh, it's 
um, he's just... I find that's another great school thing, isn't it? The, the moment someone calls the teacher mum, like, is immortalised, basically. Of course. You, you never come back from that. But it's weird, isn't it? Because it's something that I'd say 50% of the school go through at some point oh, in their life. Yeah. But it, it's, it's as soon as someone else does it, the heat's off. You just needed to be popular at the time you did it, basically. Yeah. Like, like with so many things at school, it, it was fine if you had a sort of a group of people around you that would that could spin it for you. Yeah. But if you were going through a phase of unpopularity and then you, you slipped up like that, it, is, it could be a whole term written off. Yeah. God, but why is it such a big deal? Yeah, I, I, I suppose, again, it's something to do with that thing of everything's a big deal at school because you're so desperate for distraction. Yeah, this, you have to cling to any kind it, of event. Any storyline that comes up like that, you yeah. could be looking back on it for weeks just because you're desperate for a thing. Yeah. yeah. Which I suppose is part of what some bullying is looking back. Like, I remember... The, I didn't, again, I wasn't much of a sort of bully victim, but occasionally I would get beaten up in the way that any, certainly any boy that's ever been at school was. Once, I remember one time this bloke, we had to play rugby, and this bloke just took our, me and my mate, he took our uniforms away, like dumped them in a puddle, took my mate's bag, knocked us both over, kicked us for a bit. And like a couple of years later, when it was all fine, I asked him, what, like, why did you do it? What happened? And he was just like, I just... I had nothing to do. I just didn't know what to do with myself. It's like, right. Oh, there wow. must have been other things yeah. you could have done instead of that, though. Yeah, it's but that's... Before phones, of course. Take the, you just, yeah, with that, maybe, actually, maybe, you know what? Maybe I know we've got cyberbullying now, but maybe Snapchat has actually stopped people getting their bags dumped in puddles. I do wonder whether if we'd had apps in those days, there would have been quite as many heads going down toilets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's just, uh, you know, memes. Hurtful memes. Now. now you just psychologically destroy your classmates. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I mean, it's, it goes much deeper. It's now. definitely worse. In the, sure, do you yeah. want a wet bag or do you want to have sixteen years of therapy? As no, I'm definitely happy. I, I got out of school in the late nineties. Well, yeah, it was still sort of analog bullying. Yeah, at least you knew, <laughs> you knew the rules. You could you could have um, you might have your head smashed into a door or something, but once you were home, you probably were fine. You were fine. Yeah, you weren't You'd get on, on the word processor. Write about your feelings. Get the word processor. Smash out the story. Yeah. <laughs> shows you the sort of different generations yeah, of comics. Like my, in inverted commas, early work literally is books that I wrote on paper and my dad stapled together for me. And what are they? They're full books? I used to write, yeah, they're basically not, well, there's there's a couple of things that are, that are magazines. This this is um, called The Cricket Match, for example, by Mark Watson, and a later hand has written late 85, as in 1985 on it. I definitely didn't. Oh, it's not you. I can't have written it's late must, 85. Must be, that must be. That's the sort of thing a teacher would do, It's right? been archived that by must someone be your at, dad. At, at, at some point. A teacher likes you to date things, and you obviously hadn't. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And so I've, I've done that, obviously. And, um, so, late eight, how old were you, were you then? So I'm five. Uh, so this oh, wow, really is precocious. early stuff. Yeah, precocious is the word, I think. Looking back, I, I did. Um, I probably had produced more novels at the age of six or seven than a lot of people have at that yeah. stage. Um, but you, and, didn't you write an actual novel in your early 20s? Uh, yeah. You, your first novel was, you were really young then, right? I, I was 23, yeah. I was a fast starter, I suppose. I did that. That was basically what I did immediately after coming out of um, university. And I suppose the seeds were sown here because if, if I thought it was normal to write, to publish novels at five, then... <laughs> <laughs> and I just then actually at 23 you're, you're lagging behind really exactly and I think I know why I had that idea it's because there was a uh, there was a, a set of stories called The Garden Gang that I had where it was like Mark Marrow was the one I remember because of the uh, name or Percy P or anyway characters that were all vegetables and those had been written by some like prodigy 11 year old whose um, face and name were on the all over these and goodness knows where that person is now she was a girl I remember so I remember she was my sort of Greta Thunberg. She was my young idol. I was like, yeah. right. I had the idea that <laughs> it was a reasonable expectation that by 11 you would have like a major body of work behind you just because of this girl. Um, God, the pressure that would have been on you. Enormous. But as you can see, I rose to the pressure. You the, clearly did. You got three, this, well, this more than three. You got loads of books. A couple of there. these just newspapers. I had a newspaper called the Daily Blah for a bit. And this is, by now I'm seven by the look of it. I had a newspaper. Um, I had a daily blah. It's like I ran a newspaper for a while. It's like Citizen Kane, isn't it? Yeah, I ran a couple of papers. I had a newspaper, but my heart was my heart was in um, the novels more. I think this one, this cricket one, is so I'm five, and it's written on that paper you used to get with like school lined paper, but I've written the wrong way, so it's kind of across. Yeah, yeah, the lines are going vertically. You've written across the vertical line. Strange. So it clearly, Um, what you're saying is, you think outside the box. From an early age, yeah, that's I was renegade behavior. I was interested in experimenting with form. Yeah, uh, I wanted yeah. to say that's just who I was. Yeah, the, um, I mean, really though, in reality, it's just because it makes a perfect A five book if you fold that in half, right? Uh, presumably so. That's yeah, what, what's happened? I think my dad must have done a lot of the formatting. Yeah. Um, so it's, let's have a look at the front cover. 
So the front cover is the cricket match by Mark Watson and there's a picture of a sort of a cricket. The cricket has got recognisable one of those V jumpers with a V on, which yeah, yeah, people has. now wear as fashion. But in those yeah. days, cricketers actually did dress like that. Of course. Done the very classic um, five-year-old's way of drawing hands. Which yes. Which is essentially uh, a circle with a bunch of sort of sausages coming out of it. That's right, five fingers. But that's, that's where the similarity to a real hand uh, ends. Years later, I read that Walt Disney himself never put five fingers on a hand because it looked like too many. And there was a whole archetype of cartoon characters. I suppose The Simpsons actually, like a lot yeah, of the most loved ones, one, haven't, they haven't. Then yeah, because actual cartoon characters are allowed. Like five things is basically kind of quite impractical. Yeah, in yeah. Real, in. And then the trouble with some of these works is, um, I was obsessed with sport, as I suppose I still am. So the book is quite heavy on just the details of this. It's about me being picked to play. The first page says I was going to play for England v Australia in a one-day cricket test match. So it's not like, for a person so young, it's quite a mundane... Well, I suppose it's not a mundane dream. I still haven't played in an Ashes or a one-day or anything. I've no. not represented England. But um, it's an odd fantasy. And can I just say, if you had, I certainly wouldn't have opened by saying your best night for all-star driving. Sorry. No, no, I think it would be an <laughs> elephant in the room if I played cricket at any sort of like, You'd international the level, play. I think. <laughs> yeah. I'm finding uh, a way to bring that up. He was also part of the successful 2005 <laughs> Ashes campaign. <laughs> And so is this, when you were a kid, did you, your priority, I know no, no one dreams I, of being a comedian when they're five. Did you want to be a cricketer or other sports? I was, I wanted, to, like, I was already obsessed with football, cricket and basically all sports. But I think uh, I already uh, knew that I was not going to make the great, even at that age, I think I had an instinct for, for, because I remember a lot of my earliest fantasies were about being a commentator or a sports broadcaster oh, that in is, some way. I mean, can I just say, I did say, Hello. would go for head boy but would have been too modest to have gone for it. At five, you got the modesty to go, I probably won't play, but I could commentate. I remember that is some of that classic Mark Watson it's modesty. It's amazing. It's almost too on brand, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's so it's, on it's brand. embarrassing. At five, but it, thought he'd commentate instead it of It is true. I remember being in the playground uh, about age seven or eight, and all the boys were like, I'm Ian Rush, I'm John Barnes. And so it was all about that 80s Liverpool team. And uh, all of them believed they were going to be pro footballers in the way that my 10-year-old does. And I remember... And again, I don't know if this is you were saying modesty. I'm, I'm Motti. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm Guy Mowbray. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those kids in the playground who oh, yeah. dream of being Guy Mowbray. If I'm not even him. I'm, I'm one of the people that does the sort of links by the by the side by the yeah, side. Sure. I'm pitch yeah, side yeah, yeah. Chappers, Mark Chapman. I'm Chappers. I'm not. I'm not sure if it was modesty or just more sort of like fatalism, like gloom. I was quite a gloomy. I think I basically remember looking around and thinking, I'd be surprised if any of these guys are actually going to be professionals and I'm definitely not even the best in this game so right. I don't I had the unusual level of perspective but I think it came from just yeah pessimism I yeah. definitely um, I do remember having that realisation quite early of, there was a bloke called Rob Day I think it was who was an uh, amazing footballer in the playground and everyone assumed he was going to play for Liverpool and I remember being about 9 or 10 one day just thinking we had a school game and we got absolutely thumped by someone I, that's that moment where you think hang on this school are much all their players are much better than us and they're probably yeah. Also, not going to. I had this with my son recently. Uh, he was ten. He played in a uh, school five-a-side tournament with a group format, and they rinsed the group, won every game, and you could see all the kids thinking, "We're all the future. We will all play for Man City in the future. We're much better than we thought we were." Uh, and then in the knockouts, they they met a far better funded school and yeah. got absolutely caned. And I could see my son going through that same psychological process. Ah, oh, hang on. Loads of people are good at football. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. So you get the outside perspective of another school come in and you realise you're living in a bubble. Yeah, and then that school in turn doesn't win the tournament and you start (sighs) the size of your task starts to become obvious to you. Yeah, Getting through the group stage and then being terrible in the knockouts. I mean, you could play for England. I mean, it's not it's not that far away far, from historically what we've grown I, up I did basically England. say to him, this is how football works. So <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this exactly. is absolutely fine. Yeah. Someone's got to be that team. You'd be massively overachieving if you'd gone all the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. All you did wrong was get thrashed in the quarterfinals rather than a heartbreaking penalty shootout exit. But basically, <laughs> your course is set. Did your, did your son... Did your son want to be a footballer before well, that I, happened? Yeah, but I think only in the way that most Literally kids everyone does. do, that, that like football. Yeah. Which is, I, think, I think he probably... Um, and of course, there are quite a lot of books, like actual books, where kids do live out their dreams like that. So, you know, kids do grow up with a disproportionate idea of how likely they are to be either an astronaut or a footballer yeah. or, or to discover an underwater kingdom or something. Quite a lot of your, your duties as a parent is having to say to them, I know that happened in that book, but it, it might not happen. Yeah. In he's, My kid's got a book written by Theo Walcott. You know, some occasionally footballers write... A children's book. Fiction, a children's book. Oh, right. 
called TJ and the Penalty or something like that. And it is a sort of semi-autobiographical work by Walcott about a kid becoming a footballer, which again is all great because it's a good way of getting kids to read. But my son has read so many novels where a kid that's good at football ends up playing for England. That well, maybe there's a market like, for it. Maybe there's a market for realistic um, kids' book dreams. Someone should write, yeah, where the kid like gets as far as a trial for Grimsby Town, doesn't quite <laughs> make it. And then he, last time you see him, he's working in the supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> That yeah. is a great idea for And a then he was a barman. A yeah, yeah. Anti kids book, oh, yeah. basically. Paul, Paul was the class clown at school. Everyone loved him. Now he's in insurance. That would be amazing. And he doesn't need it. He doesn't need to be funny anymore. It's time we had a, a set of kids books that were all about how you quite likely can't achieve your dreams. Realistic, yeah. realistic kids books. You've Keep believing it. as much as you want, I think, but you, know, you won't you, get there. You've got a relationship with publishers. You could do this. I'm all gonna, comedians yeah. eventually write a kids book. Yeah, so I might as well submit that. Mine is going to be a set of corrective kids' books about how a kid that goes to like magic school looks like he's going to be a great wizard, but it just doesn't really work out. Doesn't work out. Doesn't fulfill his normal job. Um, ends up getting on the open mic circuit, does some stand up, and ten years later writes a kids' book. There you go. It all comes back on itself. Quite funny. I was reading the Harry Potter books fairly recently to my son, and there's so much hype around Harry. Like this is the greatest wizard that's ever. We've been waiting for this guy. I do remember thinking, in like this is a lot of pressure, and yeah. you do want you long for an alternative version where Potter is just ultimately quite a mediocre wizard. Yeah, maybe there like, should be a spin-off series about one of the other wizards at Hogwarts who's just sort of like fine that we don't even know. Presumably, in the realms of fanfic, there people have written like I imagine books about yeah. all the classmates of Harry have been covered and stuff. Uh, if yeah. we do this podcast long enough, I'm sure we'll hear some of that fanfiction. Sh- one of our guests eventually, if we get through everyone, is going to have written fanfiction about James at Hogwarts. That's. <laughs> that's a f- for a second, I thought you meant the, the Mank Band, James. Be... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Lolly Adaphobia came on a red fan fiction about Everwood, which I'm sure you've never heard of. No, I don't think it's an so. American teen drama. So, and I allowed that to happen. So, it's interesting to me. I've like I've, I've heard a couple of episodes, and it, it does. I don't know if I'm the oldest person you've had on yet, but I, I'm 40, and yeah, you've got most of your guests. It is more like fan fiction stuff that's hoiked off the internet sure it makes me feel very strange to look at these, um, these books look like ancient documents by we have comparison. got we have moved on to some old people but oh, they've good. not yet been broadcast fine i'm glad to hear that <laughs> because it does like <laughs> they will have been by this time so uh just look back on the last couple of weeks and you'll see who i'm talking that's about that's good yeah <laughs> people that made silent movies when they were kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> so come on, can we hear a little bit of this cricket book yeah, so again, it is I don't quite, mind if it's densely cricket based. Well, it's fairly. For example, I don't know if you heard the Tom Rosenthal episode, but we've, I haven't heard his one yet. Did he also have? He like, wrote. Um, he had recordings of raps he made for his cricket team, I, and it's not only is it about cricket; it's about specifically Cobham Green cricket. Amazing team, stuff. Or it's I, I, in that case, I feel like I've got away lightly. Yeah. At least I've never attempted rap in my younger no, days. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we had rap in 1985. <laughs> um, so, uh, for example, I whacked the next one, but an Australian rushed over. I thought it would be run out. But on his way, the man from Australia bumped into me. So I got one run and luckily avoided being run out. So it's fairly kind of prosaic stuff, uh, really. <laughs> the and man I... from Australia. I love that. The man from Australia, not the my opponent. No, the man from Australia. I think I was trying to find different ways of, of... saying Australian, yeah. My next ball went up in the air, but someone dropped it. So it was a four. England were 11 for no wicket. And then, again, I, I, never, I haven't looked at this until uh, today, but uh, another example of my fairly sort of unspectacular fantasies. I've got myself getting out here. When I was out, we, brackets England, had 63 for one. Then Gooch hit a four. So, like... <laughs> oh, so... You think so you're playing in the era of the pros at the time? Yeah, I'm playing... So you're imagining yourself... You're a five when you wrote I'm this. You're imagining yourself as a 20-something. I've put myself into the then the current, current team. England team. But I think most people would have themselves like making a double century or something. But I've allowed myself to throw my wicket away. Sixty-three. Yeah, respectable opening. Stand, Very respectable. Like, as I say, completely modest. But I, I uh, what we'd come to expect from a Mark Watson novel. Yeah, and in fact, I, looking down in the pages, I've got England all out for one hundred and seventy-nine. Not, oh, not a wow. great score. Um, so well, maybe you're not so modest then, because you get the you get a lot a high percentage of those runs yourself. The team fell apart after I was out. Actually, <laughs> yeah. so I suppose I've been I've sort of given myself a backhanded compliment. Yeah, I've and actually looking through now, I also catch I catch someone out, and um, you quite often see this when kids write a book. Uh, they let's say the ending is a bit rushed. It says Australia's first ball went for four, but I dove down and caught it. So uh, I'm the hero. And then that's page eight. And then page nine is the last page. It says every other batsman got six. So Australia finished with 54, England won. 
and, that's it. <laughs> and you, presumably I had to have tea at that point or uh, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, someone, Mark! There's You're quite going, oh, a go on, Yeah, I think if there's a pattern to my early work. It's I must been... say that specifically as an ending is insane the... and inconceivable. Every other batsman got sick. Yeah, it, it, I'm surprised the narrator doesn't remark on how incredible that is. I'm not sure <laughs> there's ever been a cricket match where everyone got the exact same Everyone score. gets six. Um, quite and a lot of these early... Very bo- low-scoring cricket match, that. But yeah, I think to... to was it 179 to, to 54? get Australia out for 54 is some some effort, yeah. yeah. But again, um, and I suppose it anticipates that that game a few years ago where Stuart Broad almost did do that. Yeah. But um, yeah, like <laughs> a lot of, my, lot of my books of the period do bear the marks of me having had to go to bed or something on the and being determined to finish it because you have to say that's quite abrupt, really. Is I, this why you now... Um, uh, actively try and rally against that by doing shows that last twenty four and forty eight mu- hours. Must be, I must be purging this like this anger. <laughs> the fact that no I'm one's going to tell me to... when to finish. I'm not finishing on page nine now, <laughs> yeah, man. <yeah. laughs> maybe, maybe it is. Maybe these twenty four hour plus shows are just a kind of delayed revenge against everyone that ever put constraints maybe on my rushing. time. Yeah. When you're writing a book now, are you? Do you find yourself rushing the ending? Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, he died in the end. Yeah, and, uh... yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert for every single one of Mark's books. Um, Australia gets six each and everyone dies. There, there was a book that I... There was a novel, one of the novels that I wrote where um, it does end with quite an abrupt... Um, well, with... I suppose it's a spoiler, but with a, uh, the um, protagonist getting hit by a car and that is, that's the end of it. And um, obviously it was a sort of conscious choice, but... And it felt to me like the best way to... It's a sort of ending people either like or don't. Mm. But someone did tweet me going, enjoyed your book, a bit disappointed with the ending. It felt like you just ran out of time a bit. And I was like, mate, you don't run out of... It's not an exam. You don't write a book under test (laughs) conditions in three hours. I deliberately ended it like that. I didn't just think, oh, shit, I'm going to have to hand this in now. Yeah, you got publisher on your back. I'd love it if a... a Writing a book did involve just being locked in a room with a publisher and they're just saying, looking at their watch, going, Well, that's it now. Pencils down. And finish the sentence you're on, please. <laughs> and then you got hit by a car. That's how the first series of Skins ends. Yeah, I mean, you p- get hit by just randomly out of nowhere, gets hit by a bus. But again, it's irrelevant to the story. Presumably, they will have made that decision in, in a group. The, yeah. the writer didn't just go, oh, I've got to go for tea with uh, Bill Nash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, may I hear something from the Daily Blah? Yes, if you don't d- mind. What were the sort of scoops in those times? The scoop. So, front cover. The front cover says Nepal mission. There's a picture of some mountains. I mean, that is some of the most precocious stuff I've it's ever not, heard. It's absolutely life. not. So I at just, seven. Just turned seven at this point. And you're writing about Nepal. Nepal mission. And it says, um, so presumably these are friends of my parents who are going off to Nepal. I don't remember any of this at all. Uh, and I've reported it by saying Nepal mission. Emma and David Wilson today said two year goodbyes to the Watsons. Their two year journey to Nepal kicks off at 4 pm tomorrow. I don't know. They can't have said wow. we're off at four pm, and that's that's it. That, that's, no, they would have the, done. You, maybe, it's the sort of detail you say. I suppose it oh, is actually. Gosh, like at four. Um, I've spelt there incorrectly. Um, I think you can be forgiven for that, given but, that this is a newspaper. I mean, to be fair, it's quite interesting. This is front page news. Well, it is. It is. But then, actually, look at some of the other stuff. It's n- not that surprising. One of the things that I find interesting looking back at this is, um, I've got quite a big collection of football programs now, and that began then. I always loved. I would always get a program. People would bring me programs back, and. Um, Obviously, they they were full of adverts and stuff, as well as team information. And, stuff. and so I grew up thinking adverts were, you know, adult and impressive things. So all the uh, newspapers and things that I made in this period have imaginary adverts in. So on page three of my newspaper, for example, need a roof done. And there's a picture of a house. <laughs> and it says, and then Watson Pub, the best beer. And I think this is, wow. this has got to be... Um, in impersonation of the football programmes I'd seen, where there was always... In those days, it was always ads for, like, uh, fags and... Quite adult like things need a roof done. Who's thinking about yeah, that? Astonishing. I've no idea where I Is that the whole advert? Need that's a roof the whole done idea. with a picture of need a roof. Need a roof done and it says dial 36770073 this is which is a made up number. And then there's uh, one of those it's one of those 36 numbers, is it? That's it, how they get you. That's right, Premium yeah. rates. Yeah, yeah. One of those 36. Yeah, this is how I ultimately funded myself through university. <laughs> ran a series of uh, supposed helplines as they. But on the page 1 and this is something for, for you as a Spurs fan. It says today at White Hart Lane Second leg, Milk Cup semi, Arsenal v Spurs. And I've done a yeah. sort of... That must have been a real game that was on. So the newspaper is a strange mixture of... Um, milk Cup semi-final, Arsenal v Spurs. What is now the Carabao Cup. In uh, 80... That would have been 80, eight, eight, 87. 87. And I think Arsenal went on to beat Liverpool in the final. But I did this quite often. Adverts for real, as if somehow I could help you to watch the match. Even yeah. though... Um, and on the next page, you could win a brand new car or lorry, plus a million pounds. And there's... <laughs> Various pictures of cars and lorries here, but I, I've no idea how I had these to give away. I don't remember. It's one of the 
most generous competition prizes I've ever seen. Yeah, in a million like pounds and a lorry, yeah. <laughs> and a lorry. I don't we know. need someone to put the cash. No idea who was bankrolling this. Presumably my dad just gave me millions of pounds it's to like publish they... this newspaper. Because he was the only reader, obviously, of the... That's the odd thing. Well, he was, was he copying these as well and distributing them? Uh, maybe. Staff maybe. room at the school. Maybe I had a readership of several thousand. Yeah. yeah. It's odd. It's quite sort of touching for me to think that my dad would... The idea of winning um, a million pounds and a lorry, to me, is like, if you win, they drive a lorry full of cash to your house and just give you the keys. Presumably that's how leave. we did it. Again, I don't they remember these. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because, um, obviously, my dad was the only person, maybe my mum, but I think largely my dad was the only reader of these. So he would staple them together and then I would deliver it to him and then he would read things like, in this case, a story about his own friends going to Nepal, which yeah. he, he presumably wasn't front page scoop for him because he had the conversation with them that I was reporting on. So he, he must have feigned surprise at some of these news stories because I only ever got them from hearing him talk about stuff. I suppose he was the source of a lot of these stories, though, right? Your parents were the source. So they're reading back going... Yeah. They're almost like an editor. Yeah. Looking back going, correct. You're the journalist. Pr- presumably so, yeah. Occasionally it would be... A, I've got another one here. Sometimes there'd be a um, real-life... No, a lot of the rest of these are just works of, works of fiction, actually. But sometimes I did put real stuff... On. I've got uh, one from slightly older when I was nine with a front page about the Hillsborough disaster. And I mean, I don't think I was the one that broke that story looking back. I'm pretty sure that's just something I'd heard about. And, um, and but again, we needed your perspective. I'd almost, I'd again be very surprised if that was how my dad learned about that as well. <laughs> I, I don't think I was Have first. Have you heard this, darling? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Our son's on the front line of this absolutely I'm, historic moment. I'm not sure I, I ever actually broke a story in the traditional sense because, as you say, most of my sources were also the readers, which is... Um, I must say, the Daily Blah is the only paper I can think of covering um, your parents' friends' trip to Nepal. Yeah, I don't think... It, to be fair, you did have the scoop on that. I don't remember getting a lot that getting a lot of coverage. I don't. The fact that I don't know who Emma and David Wilson... I'd be surprised if my parents even... I don't remember, remember people is. called Emma and David ever being referred to when I was growing up, so I do wonder if there's a... <laughs> Maybe it's made up. I mean, it's possible. It's such a very, it's a weirdly specific thing to make up. But as we've seen, I was into making up weirdly specific (laughs) stuff. Later on in this newspaper, there's an advert for a a new single by my church. It says, new single by Good Shepherd Kindergarten, We Are the Church. And that is based on We Are the World, which had recently come out. But this single didn't exist. I just imagined that my Sunday school had had released a single. Cover. A cover. And that's, this is, but changed world to church. There's a, Most of this is adverts. A lot of the newspapers that I wrote in those days were just adverts for imaginary products, yeah. Yeah. So in a way, I was always likely to become a comedian, I suppose, spin a career out of (laughs) total bullshit. Nonsense. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. When I was a kid, I remember um, everyone being asked, when we were about 10, everyone being asked what they they think they'll do when they're older. And everyone, obviously, at 10 is fiercely ambitious and says things like footballer um, or fireman and stuff like that. And I knew that I wanted to be like an actor or like a kind of a comedian, do yeah. com- comedy type thing. But I knew that was unrealistic. Yeah. So I literally said, they said, what do you do? I said, oh, I'd probably just go into advertising. That's uh, nice. About 10 years That's old. Great. I was like, well, there's transferable skills from like wanting to be a comedian into advertising, funny, as you've proven. Funny to think of a teacher looking at a 10-year-old. Going, good God. Advertising, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, what a bleak outlook on life. Yeah, I think quite a lot of comedians, because there was no uh, established career path of stand-up comedy when we were mm. at school. The, quite a lot of us had some sort of yearning for what this job would end up being, but you couldn't really articulate. Well, one the best of the... you could do was like actor or something. Yeah. And that wasn't the same thing at all. One of the problems with it was there was not really any young comedians on TV at the time. No, that's the kid. thing. So everyone was about 40 who was like a famous TV comedian. Oh, same for me, for sure. So it was sort of like, well, oh, obviously you have to wait. Obviously yeah. you start, because also you assume oh, he's just started telling jokes now and now he is on television. As people still do assume, yeah. They see yeah, 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 Romesh right, for the first time and they're like, oh, that guy that began last week is, yeah. is quite good, actually, yeah. It's true. I Certainly, I don't remember seeing any comedians. that. Also, I, only, I assume there were only about six comedians in existence, mm. like Victoria Wood, Lenny Henry, just those guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the idea of being a comedian. So, I think I'd probably had some sort of creative, wanted to be some sort of creator... And I knew people definitely wrote books. That girl had done it that was still at school. Right. So basically that... I you knew there was an 11-year-old who could write out there. I, so I think so, that's yeah. That's you did this. I think so. Could we hear another piece of fiction? Yeah, so uh, I had a friend called Heather. This is a real-life friend, but she lived in Canada, which is something you say if you've got an imaginary friend. Because oh, she's in Canada. But I actually did have a she friend went in to Canada. school in my, Canada. my parents had briefly been... To, to, we lived in Canada for a year when I was a kid. So I had this exotic sort of pen pal called Heather and quite a lot of my stories are adventures the Mark and Heather the so-called Mark and Heather stories so this for example back in this is called Back in Time and me and Heather are on the cover uh, it says book number 37 and I'm not sure if that was a, 
like a flight of fancy if I had written 37 of these. Either is possible. From what we've said today, it is quite feasible that you wrote 37 books, Adventures of Mark and Heather. I got that convention from things like the Hardy Boys and there'd be mm. these series of it where it would say book number 80 or choose your own adventure. They always had very high... So I think I might have been pastiching that, but I might well have written 37, to be fair. For, like my, I'm grateful to my parents for saving these, but who knows how many they've had. Would they really have saved time. a further 36 I, of these? At some point, you want your Surely asset you just, back. I don't really You just them. want one example, really. You don't need 30. And this is just that we don't know how high it goes. Because no, that, I mean... I, this I, could be in the middle. I doubt this was the final one. Yeah. Um, so in this one, um, me and Heather get a... Um, now, this is odd because I, I, when I wrote this, I was six. And as you've heard, in the, like the cricket book, I am myself at six playing for England. Here, though, I've transported us into the future because me and Heather have got a time machine that says, what now, asked Heather, a lovely 23-year-old coming from Canada. So I've... I've um, <laughs> oh, a bit of exposition there. I've set it in... I mean, yeah, very clunkily. It feels a little bit uh, on the nose, that, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Pop that in a script and see if you get away with it. Uh, and then this is a bit odd. Press this button, said Mark, a good-looking 38-year-old from England. That I've, is very strange. I've moved this into the future, but I've made myself 15 years older so than you, her. For yeah, reasons yeah, yeah. They're not clear. You were the same age, presumably, in real we life. We were the same age, and we still are the same age in real life. Um, Don't think so, I'm letting you get away with uh, the good-looking bit without not, mentioning it. No, strange that. I, I, um, you just tried to move past that, didn't you? I, yeah, I, I, I'm uh, sort of charmed that my, my main aim in life was to become a 38-year-old, a good-looking 38-year-old. Um, did you consider yourself a good-looking 38-year-old? I'd say I've got a pretty generic look, pretty average looking, but I don't remember it, good looks ever having been an aspiration of mine. I'm surprised that that's how I characterised myself. And I'm, I don't know why I made myself so much older than Heather that it almost, if it was a real-life relationship, there'd almost be questions asked. Absolutely frowned upon, yeah. Um, but you're good looking, so fair enough. And this was the 80s, it was a different... Maybe this explains you know. it. Maybe that's why you, the character needs to be good looking, so that we believe that he could possibly hang out with a 20... What is it, three-year-old? I, I suppose that's it. I suppose that's what I was thinking. She's 23. And um, so basically we get, a, we get a time machine. We go first, again, on brand, to the World Cup final. So one that England won. England were playing West Germany. Mark leaped as Hurst scored. But England was his birthplace. So just, <laughs> again, just getting the reader inside my head, helping them understand why it meant so much. Oh, the writing style is it, wonderful. England was his birthplace. England yeah. was his birthplace. And then, then we, um, I suppose we've all thought about what we would do with a time machine, but the way me and Heather use it is surprising. We go back to 1966 for the World Cup, which at this point is only 20 years back, and then we go back to, the, to Adam and Eve. So n- nothing in between that. They got out and looked around. It was deserted apart from a man and a lady who had no clothing. It's Adam and Eve, said Mark, fainting. Only Heather caught him. <laughs> so actually, I rather make myself the hero. I've um, I've had Heather sort of rescue me here from from, and then um, this is another example you see of when you think that we've done six pages, we've already been to the sixties and then to the dawn of mankind. Yeah. It seems like there's so much more we could do. Yeah. Page seven says Mark, when he came round, decided they should return the time machine to the BBC, and Heather agreed, so they did, and that's the end of that. Oh, so, it's another um, one of those endings. Having, it's another one of those having, endings. We didn't even get to a ninth page here, page seven. So having um, returned to the BBC. Oh yeah, I missed Doctor Who. I missed this app. No, there was a, a, a program called Galloping Galaxies at that point. It seems, and the first page says Mark had bought a time machine from Galloping Galaxies, the TV show. I can vaguely remember that, and I think they did have some sort of intergalactic time traveling adventures. So the narrative is that I bought the time machine, presumably from the same source of money as this million pound and lorry um, competition. Bought a time machine. And then only used it to go back to watch one football match to see Adam and Eve. And then we decided it was probably time to... Well, we've done it There's no other... There's not really any other events we need to do. Again, it and if there are, they'll be covered in the Daily Blast, so we can just read that, about them there. That's the thing, yeah. Again, it, it gives you an insight into someone with quite... In a way, quite limited expectations of what it was capable of, that my character in this is like, we've had, we've had our fun, we've been around in the time machine a bit. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's real. Enough's enough. Let's mate. not yeah. push our luck Let's kind not, of vibe from Mark Watson as a child. Roman Empire? I don't know. That, that's too much. Come on, we've... We've and, had a, we've had a day. Suppose, real time. Yeah, it's been a hell of a day. I fainted when I saw Anthony. <laughs> I suppose. You, how would you fail? You, you're the one who presumably chooses in a time machine where you go back to. Yeah, I'm, I, f- I don't know why I was. Perhaps I'm just overwhelmed by the, the sense of how much time has sure. passed and stuff like that. I reckon if I went back to the sort of the first day of uh, humans now, I would. I feel very odd. I suppose you'd faint, even if you'd programmed it. The sense of occasion. The, the, the occasion got <laughs> to me. I think. If they say yeah. it I, I think. Um, Funnily enough, I'm 35 years on, I, I sort of have a similar approach to time travel, I think, which is in these questions of like, where would you go uh, given a time machine? I, 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 all, I can't help asking questions like, am I guaranteed safe passage back? 
like, do yeah. I know exactly how it works? Can I program it? All this sort of stuff is why. Will I faint? Will there be, be someone very, there to catch me not who's 15 really, years younger than me? Exactly. Will they, will they have, a, like, an entourage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, I think I am quite literal-minded. Any question like that where there is a fantasy dimension to it, I'm always like, can I check a few things yeah. here? Because, for example, I probably would go back and see, the like, Romans or Middle, middle Ages, maybe, because I've always loved, like, medieval stuff. But I want to, like, I'm not going back to the time of Richard II, but then I get killed because everyone gets killed in those days. I want to know this stuff, basically, before I commit to time travel. Yeah, and you, you can want to see... go to a safe bit of the past. I want to be guaranteed. And from a distance. That... And are you invisible? Are you the, in the world or what? All of this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. It's when, in that, what would you do with invisibility for a day question? Again, I'm like, can people see objects that I'm moving? What yeah. I just like to know what the parameters of these superpowers are. And that's perhaps why I've never had a superhero movie made out of me. Because well, when, there you, go. when you, you watch look, actual superhero movies, I've got to say, yeah, there's very rarely this sort of admin involved. Well, once um, again, there's another there's another gap in the market. You've got your realistic yeah. kids book and you've got your realistic superhero movies. Yeah. Well, a neurotic you, man you who can, wants to know all the details before he accepts his powers. Yeah, a man who will climb up the building, but he needs to be absolutely assured that he has enough energy to get all the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not wasting my time yeah. going up halfway. So this flying thing, does it wear off like a phone's battery? Or <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I don't yeah. want to get up there and then I'm in trouble. Yeah. And who cleans up these webs after I've shot them? I don't want to, I don't want to litter. Yeah. Are you sure I'm invisible? Just people are still looking in my direction. <laughs> right, Mark, it comes to the time where I have to score your work. Oh, right, yeah. Um, now, there's three categories I have to score it on. They are originality, pure teen horniness, and Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. How close is it to your work now? What does it represent of who you went on I'm not going to do great on teen horniness no, here, although absolutely I, I, not, I suppose I did not. call Heather uh, lovely looking or something like that. Oh, you're so, I believe it was yourself. I was, was as horny as I could be at the age of absolutely. six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, maybe this is why you're ending books so quickly. You're getting bored. Yeah. You've got, you've got stuff to do. Yeah, got stuff to do. Got, got to explore my um, sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> Originality. Uh, I mean, I've four out of five. I've got to go four out of five for that. that. Yeah. The origin, it's, a, it's a very original way a cricket match would unfold. Um, it's very original that you'd be writing these things. The Daily Blah is a nice nod to um, the nonsense of tabloid newspapers. You're writing articles about Nepal. Yeah, I really zinged Nepal. those guys back in you the You really yeah, them, Surprisingly, yeah. we still have a tabloid press. It's like Mad Magazine. It's incredible <laughs> what you're up to. Um, in fact, no, five. It's got to be five. Oh, amazing. There's nothing, there's nothing unoriginal about what you were doing. Um, pure Dean Holiness, zero. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's no horniness in it, and I'd be uncomfortable giving you a point. I'm sort point. of glad that there's no horniness, I think, given the situation. It's yeah. maybe the most innocent um, thing that's been on this podcast so far. I can uh, imagine some people do score very high on oh, horniness. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. usually me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading poems from when I'm 17, largely, so they're pretty horny oh, stuff. The poetry of a 17-year-old is very different from the time travel novel of a five-year-old. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Different genre. Um, Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose. How close is it to your work now? Does it show potential of a future star? I mean, it's absolutely identical. I mean, in the... It's quite clearly from the, this the, exact the same writer. The yeah. mind... Is, is represented so strongly. All of the neuroses, all of the concerns are identical. The modesty that we talked about earlier, it's all there. It's all in there. It's weird looking back how, how much I recognise it as my own work. Yeah. yeah. I got in the cricket team, but I didn't play that well. Actually. I wasn't that good. I yeah. got out. I had an okay... <laughs> I did okay. I got access to a time machine, did a bit of stuff with it, and then... It potted about. We potted pot, about in the past. Potted about. Didn't do anything stupid, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't take any risks, really. Probably bought a ticket to the World Cup final, even though I got there in the time machine, <laughs> yeah, just to be on the yeah. safe side. Don't want to get there and then lock down. And I bet when you are at the World Cup final, you still thought, oh, can we do it? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. You never know. No. You never know what could happen. I think I've seen this, but I'm not completely... Oh, I'm not 100% I'm, sure. I'm sure I apologise to Adam and Eve for seeing them naked. Exactly. Well, and you still fainted, yeah. even in your own fantasy. <laughs> you still, exactly, in your yeah. own fantasy, you couldn't handle in seeing The fantasy it. that I had chosen was nonetheless too much for me to process. Yeah, exactly. So five, five. So that's a ten out of fifteen. Yeah, that's I'll a have very, with that. Very respectable score. Um, congratulations. Even a bit of horniness would have given me a higher score. But what can you do? Yeah, exactly. Now it comes to my turn to read you a uh, poem from my yeah. back catalogue. Both of these are untitled. I found them on documents in um, called personal statement stuff. Yep. Um, so I'd written them at the bottom of all the listing all the things. I was going to put my personal statement, like how I, in the last 24 hours, had become a member of Amnesty International so I could write it on my statement, for example. Yes, Amnesty always get a sudden swell of applications around 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 that that time, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I actually have two. I didn't know they would be this appropriate. So you can choose which one you want. One of them is about time, and one of them is about the Garden of Eden. Wow, that's incredible. That is, we should go for that, surely. Because the Garden of Eden? Yeah, because that's a, that is a delightful coincidence that both of us have produced early work about, uh, about Genesis. Yeah. Okay. And now I think it's from the perspective potentially of Eve. Right. So uh, you, you were already putting yourself in other people's minds, writing across. I was really speaking on behalf of women. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. You ready? <clears throat> 
Where is my Eden leading? Is this eternal feeling feeding my desire, cultivating my needs or rekindling my fire? Or is this Eden the disease, escape from ease and dangle trees of lust above me as my soul just pleads? What's the cure? Where's the door? How much more can we endure? I'm abhorred. I'm bored. I'm lost. I'm trapped in heaven just. I've been banished to my mind. This room where all the walls are nails with thoughts attached. And if perchance I stumble across one, perhaps my mind can resurrect a feeling, an emotion which I'm dealing, a weaving, dreaming sense of believing that I've missed, since I picked, since I bit, since I could hardly resist. And for this, was it ever worth it? Now I'm worthless, just reworked and hurtless. Now my furthest level is turbulent and I'm reversing without purpose. I mean, that's a very different take on the Garden of Eden. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, I suppose uh, both of our narrators share a sense of um, dread or anxiety at the whole prospect of the Garden of Eden. That, and you're 17 writing that. Yeah. In its own way, that is as peculiar as me at five writing novels about cricket. Absolutely baffling that. Yeah. I don't understand. I think the idea is, I mean, to be honest, I can't actually fathom quite how much this poem ties up everything we've talked about. It's, so it, it's almost too it's, convenient. Not only is People it... People will have to trust us that this is, yeah, this yeah, is not engineered It's not a scripted vodka. We just both were at some point obsessed with the Garden of Eden. <laughs> it's insane. Um, so <laughs> it's about the Garden of Eden for a start. It's all about uh, being banished because I ate and bit the apple. As Paul would have asked, what happens if I want an apple? Remarkable, yeah. And it ends with the line, I'm reversing without purpose, as you did on Celebrity Driving. Not like I did, except, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, this is, is, it's incredible how much our um, lives and art have been intertwined with each other for people that have only met a handful of times. (laughs) Did you ever, presumably you never performed this poetry, it was just written for yourself. I imagine I wanted to perform it, but I never never did. It sounds a lot like... uh, a poetry you see someone doing a poetry slam or yeah it's before, it? it sounds like performance poetry it, I'm obviously I've seen some of that and I've gone oh I'll do that you feel, oh, I, I can rhyme a word with another word quite quickly yeah, yeah. but it makes no sense yeah disease comes up a lot in my poems because it rhymes with a lot of things yeah it's handy isn't it yeah yeah trees bees, is this Eden see? my disease I mean that, what could that possibly mean I don't know but it does have a musicality to it they sound a bit like song lyrics that, sure. that you might get yeah I mean it's quite impressive but it does my favourite bit is um, where's the cure Where's the door? How much more can we endure? Very, a, a quadruple rhyme like that. You were absolutely <laughs> love this stuff. Yeah. Where's the door? One mad thing to talk about when you're in a garden. Yeah, I don't remember there being a door. <laughs> if there'd been one, Adam and Eve would have just got out of that as quick as possible. Yeah, the apple business is gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's quite pretentious, I suppose. 17 year old, that's what the height of your pretension. It's exactly the level of pretentious that a 17 year old poetry is all about. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. But it's, it's ambitious. I don't think that much. What, teen what makes poetry. you think it's ambitious? Well, artistically, just, I mean, just choosing the, the sort of um, creation story the Garden of Eden is your subject is, is as team poetry goes it's, and I've got know, to say it's not the first Garden of Eden poem I've read on this podcast fair play <laughs> um, for listeners if you want to go back this is part of a series uh, the first one was in the Rosemary Tafeo episode again it talks about um, how well, the price of my disease in the Garden of Eden amazing it's stuff disease, so you quite, the idea of original sin was obviously quite present in your brain from I think this the, is when you're 17 to me anyway, and certainly to people I hung out with, 17 is the age where you become obsessed with being an atheist. If you are an, indeed an atheist. It's the age where you become obsessed with going, God's not real. Yeah, you start to define yourself against popular stuff that's out there. Yeah, like you, go, you, yeah. Oh, you idiots believe in a magic man in the sky yeah, and think I, that you're amazing. And of course there are... One Ricky Gervais tweet. Quite a few people out there that still are yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about that, yeah, exactly. of course. Yeah, some people never never get past that. Yeah. You no, know, you're right. I see. So you're... I mean, get into Dawkins and stuff at that age and go like, yeah, you idiots. And then it's like, you know what? Step further. I'm writing it from the perspective of one of these fictional characters. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to tear down the whole tear, structure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought would happen. I, I didn't have a mate, unfortunately, who said, I'll put that on the internet for you so the whole world could But if it had it. gone online, you would have expected organised religion to unravel it would fairly have been soon end. after that. It would yeah. have been the end of it. Now people have changed. It Putting it out in the world now, it's sort of fine. Yeah, yeah. People are sort of fine with all that stuff, but I, at the time, cool. at the time, it would have been it would have been earth shattering in much the same way the God delusion ultimately was. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and yeah, it, if I'd got a reputation for that, I'd now be doing tweets about not being able to take honey through customs. And uh, yes, I think we, we should all be grateful that you haven't followed Dawkins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's weird because all of these atheist heroes you have when you're that age have well, basically gone insane. Yeah, unfortunately, in the absence of religion, they filled the void with, in some cases, absolutely mad tweets about honey. <laughs> yeah. Recently, he was tweeting about how you could eat a baby, but he wouldn't do it himself or something like that. It turns out yeah. you need God. Yeah. It turns out that, that that system of punishment based on heaven and hell is really what stops you to Starting to think that one day a week where we, where we try to behave well is <laughs> not the worst idea, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Right, I now need you to score that poem. Um, first category is originality out of five. 
I'll go. I think I'll go to four because the really. I think that's generous. But well, I think the, the the actual sort of maybe some of the rhymes and the stuff doesn't seem that original. But I, I have not heard a teen poem about the Garden of Eden before. So just for subject okay. matter, I think, and, and for the daring of taking Eve's perspective, I think that's a sure. kind of a bold leap. Yeah, sure. Um, pure teen horniness. Well, there's not that much explicit horniness, but there's a fair bit of, uh, of repressed emotion in there. I think I'd go, I'd go three just for implied yeah. horniness. Yeah, yeah. repressed emotion. Plus, I know you were 17 when you wrote it. I don't know what no I was like, 17. So yeah, you yeah. can't really get less than five, but yeah. Repressed emotion is pretty much my middle name as a 17-year-old poet. Yeah. yeah. It's all in there. There's, there's, there's rage and all sorts of stuff there's, running through all these things. It's going, this, frustration everywhere. It's the sort of approach that your teacher might read and say something like, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. And then have a conversation in the staff room about whether you seemed all right. <laughs> um, Mickey Mouse Club, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Goose score. Well, this is interesting because I've, you know, I've really only see you do... I've seen you stand up and superficially that I wouldn't say that that has a lot of resemblance to the things I've the other things I've seen you do sure. on stage except I suppose that you not seeing my Garden of Eden routine? Uh, no oh the, oh the old classic <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah yeah you know when you're Eve what's yeah. <laughs> but there is a sort of conjuring with words and stuff which is not too dissimilar to a lot of your at least your early stand up so just for the kind of tone I think I might go three again that, three like you can see it's, it's, you've gone off in different directions since but I feel like the some of the seeds are there. Like there's, sure. there's quite a lot of Word play and uh, that, yeah, that, yeah the, the rhythms are not unlike what you might do, I reckon, today. Fair enough. That means I get a 10 as well. Oh, that's nice. Isn't so, it? We've 10 torn. out of 15. So, it's yeah. so typical for something Mark Watson is doing. The podcast Mark yeah. Watson's on is it ends in a draw, even though he could have made himself win. Annoyingly vanilla of me. He I could sh- I easily have... have made himself win. It would have been so simple <laughs> to give you three out of five in every category. He's chosen to make it a draw. Yeah. It's so on brand. Amazing so, stuff. We draw. But... Everyone walks away happy. We, yeah, but the message of the thing is we are both losers, whether we win or not. Ironically, my sister, I've got two sisters, one of them really into sport and one's not. And the one that's not loves draws. Um because of that thing of like, oh, friendly, that's nice, yeah. isn't it? No one loses, it's friendly. And when she does that in relation to sport, I'm absolutely infuriated by it. Obviously, like anyone that likes sports, what are you talking about? The exercise was not meant to be for everyone to be happy. And yet here now, I've unconsciously engineered a You've draw engineered just yourself. so that the podcast can have a nice close. What I would say is the listeners to this podcast don't tend to be at home with their scarves supporting one of the guests Presumably or the host and going, God, no! They're not the last minute equalized. Result. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just kind of go, whatever. Just enjoyed it, but I was gutted when the guest lost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. In many ways, that's just sort of a format point that helps us separate it into sections. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I hope no one's... Which you could argue is the same with um, wickets. Now, have you got a final piece that you would like to play us out with? And we will yeah. produce this up. We'll put sound effects in it. We'll put music under it. We're going to make it sound especially as you wanted to whenever you were, what, well, six or seven? See, this will work quite well with, with specific sound effects because this is another Mark and Heather book, another in this uh, series. And what me, number is this? Me and the, just, this time I didn't put a number on it for some reason, but uh, it's called Mark and Heather Visit the USA. I'm just looking to see whether, whether we, again, are adults here or not. I don't think we are. I think here we are our current selves. Anyway, Okay, cool. I'd love to hear you. I don't know whether read. I wrote this before or after the time... Travel one. Mark and Heather wanted a holiday in the US of A. Mark was counting their money to see if they had enough to go. We have, he announced. We can afford to stay there for one week. Yippee, said Heather, making no hesitation to jump up and down, somersault, headstand in the air. Brackets, which is not all that easy since you have nowhere to put your head. And attempted to kiss Mark, only he scurried away, embarrassed. It was 08.45 hours. Aboard the plane, Mark and Heather looked out of the window and saw America coming nearer and nearer. Well, at least, Heather tried to look out, but Mark was on the window side, so she knocked him over. Oops, she said, innocently. A little bit of back and forth between me and Heather there. Bit of chemistry. They got out of the plane at once, surrounded by people seeking their autographs. This is a twist. Mark and Heather are famous, you know, it says in brackets. I didn't realise this, but uh, somehow in this... Surprisingly, we still have had to save up to go to America for a week, but we have some form of celebrity uh, in this particular future. But signing just a couple for Mark and Heather is awkward because they like to be on their own. So there you go, a much more explicit seam of desire in this book. Wow, said Heather. Look at the height of that building. K-crikey, said Mark. That's C dot dot dot. Crikey, said Mark. And then, this is a point in a moment, that's the World Trade Centre Tower, said Mark. Yes, just one of our moderate-sized buildings, joked a passing guide. So there you go. A little bit of a gag about America's <laughs> extravagant uh, architecture there. Oh, no, said Heather suddenly. We don't know any Americans. You're forgetting something, Heather, replied Mark. Huh? said Heather. Mark, smiling, produced an American phrase book, which he always had with him. 
Oh, yeah, said Heather. Well, and again, by now, people will be used to these um, slightly bracing uh, finales. Well, soon the week passed and I had to return. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's, that's a, something of an anticlimax there. Oh, wow. I mean, it's, well, yeah, not, I mean, it really ticks all the boxes. Not loads of All the boxes there. that I wanted. <laughs> um, I do have a couple of things to mention. Uh, it's lovely to say this man, this character, Mark, always has an American phrase book on him. Always. But, yeah. And this is a man who just said, Kukriki. Th- that's right, maybe yeah. the least American phrase in history. I hadn't delved into the phrase book at that point. No, I feel like, again, the modern me would try and set up this plot point that I always have an American phrase book <laughs> with me earlier because it does feel a little bit shoe- shoehorned in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is just that I would very much be looking forward, if I was around at the time when you wrote this, I would have very much been looking forward to the front page news in a Charles newspaper about the one-week holiday that um, Mark and Heather are about to yeah. go on. <laughs> on the US holiday planned. Yeah, in yeah. the daily chat or something <laughs> like that. Wonderful. So you literally just... you. You've got a phrase book, and then next thing you know, they have a holiday and they go home. Or the holiday consisted just of signing some autographs, looking at a building, and then being forced to return home. Yeah, it's disappointing. The weird thing is, I'm still sort of, again, obliquely in touch with Heather. Like I have on Facebook, I never really go on Facebook, but I do have the. And um, I don't think we've ever discussed that we were the heroes of this franchise. Did she read these? She Well, I don't imagine well, she well, ever well, did. Well, she sent these. Because she lived in another country. Question. I don't think she ever was in on it to be honest no I think that explains some of the liberties I've taken in terms of like making us into a couple and things like that so <laughs> maybe now is the time to tell her about this Heather if you're listening get in touch send us your own early work and uh, we can read the other side of the story god that would be amazing if it turned out she had also written these stories books, yeah. yeah and those ones weirdly just have really abrupt beginnings but end quite <laughs> flabbily <Yeah. laughs> uh, Mark thank you so much for coming on it's, it's been, been an fun. absolute treat I hope Heather's out there I hope she listens me too, yeah. So there it was, Mark Watson's early work. Ker-crikey. I think you could all agree that was exceptional. So exceptional, I nearly fainted, especially when he revealed that he saw two naked people called Adam and Eve. What a genuine coincidence that I brought in two poems to potentially read. They were both quite short, so I wasn't sure which one to do. One was about time, the first line of which is, time doesn't really exist. Uh, we've just heard about time travel in Mark's thing. And the other one was literally about the Garden of Eden. Either one would have been just unbelievably appropriate to read to Mark after the stuff he'd written. It's just that I got to those topics 10 years later than he did, at least, sometimes 11. If I could have given him a 10 out of 5 for the Mickey Mouse Club score, I would have done. Nothing has represented someone in this more than that. I mean, everything he did was so on brand. It was absolutely unreal. Uh, As ever, give the podcast a rating. Give it 5 out of 5 if you want. Treat it like Uber. You wouldn't give an Uber driver four, would you? Come on. I'm a good guy. I dropped you off, didn't I? I got you where you were trying to go. That's what podcasts are, really, isn't it? Just A to B. Um, also, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to uh, pass the pod. As ever, pass the pod. That's what they say on the Peter Crouch podcast. And as ever, I'm asking you to pass the pod. But don't pass it to a friend. Pass it to Peter Crouch. And then watch him nod it in at the back post. Seriously, tell Peter Crouch about the podcast. And let's see if he's got any early work and get him on it. I'm not joking. Pass the pod to Crouch. He's got a high profile... I want his listeners. He's got the biggest podcast. Let's not fuck about with any of this. Oh, pass it to your mate. I don't care about your mate. Your little mate isn't going to help me get the numbers I'm looking to get here. Okay, I'm trying to make some ad revenue for Christ's sake. And he doesn't make any because that's on the BBC. Pass the pod to Crouch. I can't stress it enough. Pass it to Crouch. And I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.